0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Chapter 15 A Walk on the Bottom of the Sea. This cell was, to speak correctly, the arsenal and wardrobe of the Nautilus. A dozen diving apparatuses hung from the partition, waiting our use. "'Ned Land, on seeing them, showed evident repugnance to dress himself in one. "'But, my worthy Ned, the forests of the island of Crespo are nothing but submarine forests.' "'Good,' said the disappointed harpooner, who saw his dreams of fresh meat fade away. "'And you, Monsieur Aronnax, are you going to dress yourself in those clothes?' "'There is no alternative, Master Ned.' "'As you please, sir,' replied the harpooner, shrugging his shoulders. "'But as for me, unless I am forced, I will never get into one.' "'No one will force you, Master Ned,' said Captain Nemo. "'Is Conseil going to risk it?' asked Ned. "'I follow my master wherever he goes,' replied Conseil. "'At the captain's call, two of the ship's crew came to help us dress in these heavy and impervious clothes,' "'made of India rubber without seam, "'and constructed expressly to resist considerable pressure. "'One would have thought it a suit of armor, "'both supple and resisting. "'This suit formed trousers and waistcoat. "'The trousers were finished off with thick boots, "'weighted with heavy leaden soles. "'The texture of the waistcoat was held together by bands of copper, "'which crossed the chest, "'protecting it from the great pressure of the water.' and leaving the lungs free to act. The sleeves ended in gloves, which in no way restrained the movement of the hands. There was a vast difference noticeable between these consummate apparatuses and the old cork breastplates, jackets, and other contrivances in vogue during the 18th century. Captain Nemo and one of his companions, a sort of Hercules, who must have possessed great strength, Conseil and myself... "'were soon enveloped in the dresses. "'There remained nothing more to be done "'but to enclose our heads in the metal box. "'But before proceeding to this operation, "'I asked the captain's permission to examine the guns. "'One of the Nautilus men gave me a simple gun, "'the butt-end of which, made of steel, "'hollow in the centre, was rather large. "'It served as a reservoir for compressed air, "'which a valve, worked by a spring, "'allowed to escape into a metal tube. "'A box of projectiles in a groove "'in the thickness of the butt end "'contained about twenty of these electric balls, "'which, by means of a spring, "'were forced into the barrel of the gun. "'As soon as one shot was fired, "'another was ready. "'Captain Nemo,' said I, "'this arm is perfect and easily handled. "'I only ask to be allowed to try it. "'but how shall we gain the bottom of the sea?' "'At this moment, Professor, "'the Nautilus is stranded in five fathoms, "'and we have nothing to do but to start. "'But how shall we get off?' "'You shall see.' "'Captain Nemo thrust his head into the helmet. Conseil and I did the same, "'not without hearing an ironical good sport from the Canadian. "'The upper part of our dress terminated in a copper collar,' upon which was screwed the metal helmet. Three holes, protected by thick glass, allowed us to see in all directions, by simply turning our head in the interior of the headdress. As soon as it was in position, the apparatus on our backs began to act, and for my part, I could breathe with ease. With the lamp hanging from my belt and the gun in my hand, I was ready to set out but to speak the truth, imprisoned in these heavy garments and glued to the deck by my leaden shoes, it was impossible for me to take a step. But this state of things was provided for. I felt myself being pushed into a little room, contiguous to the wardrobe room. My companions followed, towed along in the same way. I heard a watertight door, furnished with stopper plates, "'close upon us, and we were wrapped "'in profound darkness. "'After some minutes "'a loud hissing was heard. "'I felt the cold mount "'from my feet to my chest. "'Evidently, from some part "'of the vessel they had, by means "'of a tap, given entrance to the "'water, which was invading us, "'and with which the room was "'soon filled. "'A second door, cut in the side "'of the Nautilus, then opened. "'We saw a faint light.' "'In another instant, our feet trod the bottom of the sea. "'And now, how can I retrace the impression left upon me "'by that walk under the waters? "'Words are impotent to relate such wonders. "'Captain Nemo walked in front. "'His companion followed some steps behind. Conseil and I remained near each other, "'as if an exchange of words had been possible "'through our metallic cases.' I no longer felt the weight of my clothing, or of my shoes, or of my reservoir of air, or my thick helmet, in the midst of which my head rattled like an almond in its shell. The light, which lit the soil thirty feet below the surface of the ocean, astonished me by its power. The solar rays shone through the watery mass easily, and dissipated all color, and I clearly distinguished objects at a distance of a hundred and fifty yards. Beyond that, the tints darkened into fine gradations of ultramarine and faded into vague obscurity. Truly, this water which surrounded me was but another air denser than the terrestrial atmosphere, but almost as transparent. Above me was the calm surface of the sea. We were walking on fine, even sand, not wrinkled, as on a flat shore, which retains the impression of the billows. This dazzling carpet, really a reflector, repelled the rays of the sun with wonderful intensity, which accounted for the vibration which penetrated every atom of liquid. Shall I be believed when I say that, at the depth of thirty feet, I could see, as if I was in broad daylight?' For a quarter of an hour I trod on the sand, sown with the impalpable dust of shells. The hull of the Nautilus resembling a long shoal disappeared by degrees. But its lantern, when darkness should overtake us in the waters, would help to guide us on board by its distinct rays. Soon forms of objects outlined in the distance were discernible. I recognized magnificent rocks, hung with a tapestry of zoophytes of the most beautiful kind, and I was at first struck by the peculiar effect of this medium. It was then ten in the morning. The rays of the sun struck the surface of the waves at rather an oblique angle, and at the touch of their light, decomposed by refraction as through a prism, flowers, rocks, plants, shells, were shaded at the edges by the seven solar colors. It was marvelous, a feast for the eyes, this complication of colored tints, a perfect kaleidoscope of green, yellow, orange, violet, indigo, and blue. In one word, the whole palette of an enthusiastic colorist. Why could I not communicate to Conseil the lively sensations which were mounting to my brain and rival him in expressions of admiration? For aught I knew, Captain Nemo and his companion might be able to exchange thoughts by means of signs previously agreed upon. So, for want of better, I talked to myself. I declaimed in the copper box which covered my head, thereby expending more air in vain words than was perhaps wise. Various kinds of isis, clusters of pure tuft coral, prickly fungi, and anemones formed a brilliant garden of flowers, decked with their collarettes of blue tentacles, sea-stars studding the sandy bottom. It was a real grief to me to crush under my feet the brilliant specimens of mollusks, which strewed the ground by thousands, of hammerheads, of staircases and red helmet shells, angel wings, and many others produced by this inexhaustible ocean. But we were bound to walk, "'So we went on, while above our heads waved Medusae, "'whose umbrellas of opal or rose-pink, scalloped with a band of blue, "'sheltered us from the rays of the sun and fiery Pelagii, "'which, in the darkness, would have strewn our path with phosphorescent light. "'All these wonders I saw in the space of a quarter of a mile, "'scarcely stopping, and following Captain Nemo, "'who beckoned me on by signs.' Soon, the nature of the soil changed. To the sandy plain succeeded an extent of slimy mud, which the Americans call ooze, composed of shells. We then traveled over a plain of seaweed, of wild and luxuriant vegetation. This sward was of close texture, and soft to the feet, and rivaled the softest carpet woven by the hand of man. But while verdure was spread at our feet, it did not abandon our heads. A light network of marine plants, of that inexhaustible family of seaweeds, of which more than two thousand kinds are known, grew on the surface of the water. I noticed that the green plants kept nearer the top of the sea, while the red were at a greater depth, leaving, to the black or brown, the care of forming gardens and parterres in the remote beds of the ocean." We had quitted the Nautilus about an hour and a half. It was near noon. I knew by the perpendicularity of the sun's rays, which were no longer refracted. The magical colors disappeared by degrees, and the shades of emerald and sapphire were effaced. We walked with a regular step, which rang upon the ground with astonishing intensity. The slightest noise was transmitted with a quickness to which the ears unaccustomed on the earth Indeed, water is a better conductor of sound than air, in the ratio of four to one. At this period, the earth sloped downwards. The light took a uniform tint. We were at a depth of 105 yards and 20 inches, undergoing a pressure of six atmospheres. At this depth, I could still see the rays of the sun, though feebly, "'to their intense brilliancy had succeeded a reddish twilight, "'the lowest state between day and night. "'But we could still see well enough. "'It was not necessary to resort to the Rumkorff apparatus as yet. "'At this moment Captain Nemo stopped. "'He waited till I joined him, "'and then pointed to an obscure mass "'looming in the shadow at a short distance. "'It is the forest of the island of Crespo,' thought I, and I was not mistaken. Chapter 16. A Submarine Forest We had at last arrived on the borders of this forest, doubtless one of the finest of Captain Nemo's immense domains. He looked upon it as his own, and considered he had the same right over it that the first men had in the first days of the world. And indeed, who would have disputed with him the possession of this submarine property, "'what other hardier pioneer would come, hatchet in hand, "'to cut down the dark copses? "'This forest was composed of large tree-plants, "'and the moment we penetrated under its vast arcades, "'I was struck by the singular position of their branches, "'a position I had not yet observed. "'Not an herb which carpeted the ground, "'not a branch which clothed the trees, "'was either broken or bent.' "'nor did they extend horizontally. "'All stretched up to the surface of the ocean. "'Not a filament, not a ribbon, however thin they might be, "'but kept as straight as a rod of iron. "'Truly it was the region of perpendicularity. "'I soon accustomed myself to this fantastic position, "'as well as to the comparative darkness which surrounded us. "'The soil of the forest seemed covered with sharp blocks, "'difficult to avoid,' the submarine flora struck me as being very perfect, and richer even than it would have been in the Arctic or tropical zones, where these productions are not so plentiful. But for some minutes I involuntarily confounded the genera, picking animals for plants, and who would not have been mistaken, the fauna and the flora are too closely allied in the submarine world, These plants are self-propagated, and the principle of their existence is in the water, which upholds and nourishes them. The greater number, instead of leaves, shoot forth blades of capricious shapes, comprised within a scale of colors pink, carmine, green, olive, fawn, and brown. Curious anomaly, fantastic element, said an ingenious naturalist, in which the animal kingdom blossoms and the vegetable does not. In about an hour, Captain Nemo gave the signal to halt. I, for my part, was not sorry. And we stretched ourselves under an arbor, the long, thin blades of which stood up like arrows. This short rest seemed delicious to me. There was nothing wanting but the charm of conversation. But impossible to speak, impossible to answer, I only put my great copper head to Conseil's. I saw the worthy fellow's eyes glistening with delight, and, to show satisfaction, he shook himself in his breastplate of air in the most comical way in the world. After four hours of this walking, I was surprised not to find myself dreadfully hungry. How to account for this state of the stomach, I could not tell. But instead, I felt an insurmountable desire to sleep, which happens to all divers, and my eyes, soon closed behind the thick glasses, and I fell into a heavy slumber, which the movement alone had prevented before. Captain Nemo and his robust companion, stretched in the clear crystal, set us the example. How long I remained buried in this drowsiness I cannot judge, but when I woke the sun seemed sinking towards the horizon. Captain Nemo had already risen, and I was beginning to stretch my limbs when an unexpected apparition brought me briskly to my feet. A few steps off, a monstrous sea spider, about thirty-eight inches high, was watching me with squinting eyes, ready to spring upon me. Though my diver's dress was thick enough to defend me from the bite of this animal, I could not help shuddering with horror. Conseil and the sailor of the Nautilus awoke at this moment. Captain Nemo pointed out the hideous crustacean, which a blow from the butt-end of the gun knocked over, And I saw the horrible claws of the monster writhe in terrible convulsions. This incident reminded me that other animals, more to be feared, might haunt these obscure depths, against whose attacks my diving dress would not protect me. I had never thought of it before, but I now resolved to be upon my guard. Indeed, I thought that this halt would mark the termination of our walk, but I was mistaken. "'for instead of returning to the Nautilus, "'Captain Nemo continued his bold excursion. "'The ground was still on the incline. "'Its declivity seemed to be getting greater "'and to be leading us to greater depths. "'It must have been about three o'clock "'when we reached a narrow valley, "'between high, perpendicular walls, "'situated about seventy-five fathoms deep. "'Thanks to the perfection of our apparatus,' "'we were forty-five fathoms below the limit "'which nature seems to have imposed on man "'as to his submarine excursions. "'I say seventy-five fathoms, "'though I had no instrument by which to judge the distance. "'But I knew that even in the clearest waters "'the solar rays could not penetrate further, "'and accordingly the darkness deepened. "'At ten paces not an object was visible.' I was groping my way when I suddenly saw a brilliant white light. Captain Nemo had just put his electric apparatus into use. His companion did the same, and Conseil and I followed their example. By turning a screw, I established a communication between the wire and the spiral glass, and the sea lit by our four lanterns was illuminated for a circle of thirty-six yards. As we walked... I thought the light of our Rumkoff apparatus could not fail to draw some inhabitant from its dark couch. But if they did approach us, they at least kept at a respectful distance from the hunters. Several times I saw Captain Nemo stop, put his gun to his shoulder, and after some moments drop it and walk on. At last, after about four hours, this marvelous excursion came to an end. A wall of superb rocks in an imposing mass rose before us. A heap of gigantic blocks, an enormous, steep granite shore forming dark grottoes, but which presented no practicable slope. It was the prop of the island of Crespo. It was the earth. Captain Nemo stopped suddenly. A gesture of his brought us all to a halt, and however desirous I might be to scale the wall, "'I was obliged to stop. "'Here ended Captain Nemo's domains, "'and he would not go beyond them. "'Further on was a portion of the globe "'he might not trample upon. "'The return began. "'Captain Nemo had returned to the head of his little band, "'directing their course without hesitation. "'I thought we were not following the same road "'to return to the Nautilus. "'The new road was very steep "'and consequently very painful.' "'We approached the surface of the sea rapidly, "'but this return to the upper strata "'was not so sudden as to cause relief "'from the pressure too rapidly, "'which might have produced serious disorder "'in our organization, "'and brought on internal lesions "'so fatal to divers.' "'Very soon light reappeared and grew, "'and the sun, being low on the horizon, "'the refraction edged the different objects "'with a spectral ring.' At ten yards and a half deep, we walked amidst a shoal of little fishes of all kinds, more numerous than the birds of the air, and also more agile. But no aquatic game worthy of a shot had as yet met our gaze, when at that moment I saw the captain shoulder his gun quickly and follow a moving object into the shrubs. He fired. I heard a slight hissing, and a creature fell stunned at some distance from us. "'It was a magnificent sea otter, "'the only exclusively marine quadruped. "'This otter was five feet long "'and must have been very valuable. "'Its skin, chestnut-brown above and silvery underneath, "'would have made one of those beautiful furs "'so sought after in the Russian and Chinese markets. "'The fineness and the luster of its coat "'would certainly fetch eighty. "'I admired this curious mammal,' with its rounded head ornamented with short ears, its round eyes and white whiskers like those of a cat, with webbed feet and nails and tufted tail. This precious animal, hunted and tracked by fishermen, has now become very rare, and taken refuge chiefly in the northern parts of the Pacific, or probably its race would soon become extinct. Captain Nemo's companion took the beast threw it over his shoulder, and we continued our journey. For one hour a plain of sand lay stretched before us. Sometimes it rose to within two yards and some inches of the surface of the water. I then saw our image clearly reflected, drawn inversely, and above us appeared an identical group reflecting our movements and our actions, in a word, like us in every point, except that they walked with their heads downward, and their feet in the air. Another effect I noticed, which was the passage of thick clouds, which formed and vanished rapidly. But on reflection, I understood that these seeming clouds were due to the varying thickness of the reeds at the bottom, and I could even see the fleecy foam which their broken tops multiplied on the water, and the shadows of large birds passing above our heads, whose rapid flight I could discern on the surface of the sea. On this occasion, I was witness to one of the finest gunshots which ever made the nerves of a hunter thrill. A large bird of great breadth of wing, clearly visible, approached, hovering over us. Captain Nemo's companion shouldered his gun and fired when it was only a few yards above the waves. The creature fell, stunned. "'and the force of its fall brought it within the reach "'of dexterous hunter's grasp. "'It was an albatross of the finest kind. "'Our march had not been interrupted by this incident. "'For two hours we followed these sandy plains. "'Then fields of algae, very disagreeable to cross. "'Candidly, I could do no more when I saw a glimmer of light, "'which for half a mile broke the darkness of the waters. "'It was the lantern of the Nautilus.' Before twenty minutes were over, we should be on board, and I should be able to breathe with ease, for it seemed that my reservoir supplied air very deficient in oxygen. But I did not reckon on an accidental meeting, which delayed our arrival for some time. I had remained some steps behind when I presently saw Captain Nemo coming hurriedly towards me. With his strong hand, he bent me to the ground, his companion doing the same to Conseil. At first, I knew not what to think of this sudden attack, but I was soon reassured by seeing the captain lie down beside me and remain immovable. I was stretched on the ground, just under the shelter of a bush of algae. When raising my head, I saw some enormous mass, casting phosphorescent gleams, pass blusteringly by. My blood froze in my veins as I recognized Two formidable sharks, which threatened us. "'It was a couple of terrible creatures, "'with enormous tails and a dull, glassy stare. "'The phosphorescent matter ejected from holes "'pierced around the muzzle. "'Monstrous brutes, "'which would crush a whole man in their iron jaws. "'I did not know whether Conseil stopped to classify them. "'For my part, I noticed their silver bellies "'and their huge mouths bristling with teeth "'from a very unscientific point of view.' and more as a possible victim than as a naturalist. Happily, the voracious creatures do not see well. They pass without seeing us brushing us with their brownish fins, and we escape by a miracle from a danger certainly greater than meeting a tiger full face in the forest. Half an hour after, guided by the electric light, we reached the Nautilus. The outside door had been left open, and Captain Nemo closed it as soon as we'd entered the first cell. He then pressed a knob. I heard the pumps working in the midst of the vessel. I felt the water sinking from around me, and in a few moments the cell was entirely empty. The inside door then opened, and we entered the vestry. There our diving dress was taken off, not without some trouble, and fairly worn out from want of food and sleep, I returned to my room in great wonder at this surprising excursion at the bottom of the sea. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.